Well, good morning. It's good to be together today, isn't it? And listen, I know that we have probably more, more people online today than normal. I know there's a lot of people who are dealing um, with quarantine or sickness, and so I want to welcome you if you're online. And, and we're together, whether you're watching on a screen or whether you're here in person, and, and I'm thankful to be here. And I want to start this sermon in a different way. I confess things to you a lot, but I want to start this sermon uh, with confession. And that's this, that my plan was to get up here, it's in my notes, and say, good morning, who day? <laughs> that was my plan. And then, in first service, I'm sitting over here, and we're singing, and we're singing, Christ be magnified, and I'm thinking, how do I get up and draw attention to the Cincinnati Bengals when we're all about worshiping God here and worshiping Christ? And listen, like, seriously, God is good. And, and listen, I, I'm excited about the Bengals game yesterday. I hope you are too. I, I know that people were excited. I got on Facebook after, and all I saw was Hootay, go Bengals, the curse is broken. I'll, I'll let you go ahead and get it out. If you want to say Hootay, go ahead. One, two, three. Okay, but now, now you're going to be in some serious trouble if this next one doesn't blow that out of the water. Because listen, the Bengals are cool and all, but our God is awesome. And so I want you to say, praise the Lord on the count of three. One, two, three. Praise the Lord. God is good. Man, listen, listen, the Bengals showed up yesterday, and that was really cool to see. But guess what? God shows up every day. I don't know if you've experienced that this week, but I have. God has been present. God has been moving. And, and listen, I, I'm not trying to take shots here, but God shows up more than every 31 years. God shows up every day, and, and I like the Bengals, but we're here to praise God. And so that's where I want to draw your attention. I want Christ to be magnified in me and us and our time together today. And so we're going to continue in praying for, and, and this week we're praying for those in need. But really, as we get into to James chapter 5, which is where we're going to be today, um, I, I want to talk more about the body of Christ. So the first week, um, the, the, the place we started was that God's plan to answer most of our prayers is to use us, that we are ambassadors for Christ. We are called to be part of the solution to the things that we're praying for. And that's throughout this series. I want you to keep that in mind, that as we're praying for loved ones, for those in need, for our leaders, for everyone that we're praying for, for our enemies, God's plan is for us to be a part of the solution. So that was the first week. Last week, we were praying for our loved ones, that we would know Christ more. The number one prayer, that we would know God, that we would know Him fully. Today, we're praying for those in need. We're going to be in James chapter 5, verse 13 to 16. And I'm going to, I'm going to do something slightly different than I normally do. I want you to see the three C's in James 5, 13 through 16. The three C's of prayer that are huge. These are, this is, if, if you ask, how can I pray for my loved ones? How can I pray for those in need and be most effective? James gives us some great stuff here. Three C's. So I want you to stand with me. We're in James chapter 5, verse 13 through 16. I'm going to read it. You can follow along on the screen or in your Bibles or on your phones. It says, is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? We got a lot of happy people here. Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? 
Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. All right, you can have a seat. So there's three C's in here that I think help us, um, I don't want to say unlock, but help us understand the power of prayer and three things that are important for us to remember to, to pray for our loved ones, to pray for those in need most effectively. So we're going to start with the first one, and that's the word consistently. We should pray consistently. Verse 13 says, is anyone in trouble? What's the response if you're in trouble? Pray. Okay, is anyone happy? Are things going good? What's the response? Pray. Praise God. Pray. That's a form of prayer is praising God. Is anyone sick? What should you do? Pray. You should call on others and have them come and pray with you. And so the first thing that James shows us, by the way, I, I, I skipped this part here. James, this is the brother of Jesus. He was the leader of the early church in Jerusalem. And the last two weeks, we've looked at Paul's letters back to different churches that he worked at. James' letter, it's, it's not necessarily um, back to just a specific group of people, but James is kind of sharing the wisdom that he's learned both from Jesus and the Sermon on the Mount, and also from Proverbs and from the scriptures that he studied. He's sharing his wisdom for all believers, for all followers of Christ. And so he says, number one, what we should do is we should pray consistently. No matter what situation you're in, no matter what you're experiencing, difficult, good, happy, sad, upset, broken, whole, you should pray. When should we pray? Always. Consistently. Sorry, I should have said consistently. That would have been consistent with my message. We should pray consistently. So the question is, why? Why do we need to pray when we're in trouble? Why do we need to pray when things are good? Why do we need consistent prayer? And, and here, here's, here's the truth. The most powerful weapon you have is prayer. I put in here, in time of needs. But the most powerful weapon that you have is prayer. Your connection to God the Father, to Jesus Christ the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The most powerful weapon we have at our disposal is prayer. Being connected to God. There are a lot of other weapons we have. We have God's Word. We have the Holy Spirit at work in us. We have each other, and we're going to talk about that here in a minute. But the most powerful weapon we have is prayer. If you're in need... What more powerful thing can you do than pray? If you're happy, what's more appropriate than to praise God for what God is doing? The most powerful thing we can do is pray. So I was thinking about this. If you're in need, so I, I don't want to um, offend anyone today. I don't want to make light of anyone's job. But how many of you uh, love doctors? Doctors are great. Doctors are great. Raise your hand. Nobody loves doctors? You guys are mean. We got, we're going to confession soon, so uh, how many of you love doctors? So doctors are great, right? What do doctors do? They study the Bible, uh, the Bible, they, some of them study the Bible. They study the body and they study medicine to learn more and to help us treat the things that are wrong. So 
they're great. That's a good thing. Doctors are good. As much as some of us don't like going to the doctor, doctors are helpful. But who are you going to put your trust in? Somebody who has studied the body, read about the body, or the one that's created the body, the one that made the body, the one that's over all of it? Weathermen. You guys love weathermen? I mean, we're supposed to have some snow today, right? So there's a chance. Weathermen. I mean, like, who do you trust? The people that study the weather, that study patterns? Or the God that created it, the God that stops it, the God that changes it, the God that's over it. We have a powerful thing at our disposal, and that's a connection to the Almighty God and the, and the Son and the Holy Spirit. It's the most powerful thing we have at our disposal. And so, so we should pray consistently, especially when we're in need, when we're happy. All of these times we should pray because we have a connection to the Creator God. It's the best thing we can do. There's nothing that's going to help you more. One of our values is that we pray first before we do anything. We should pray for it. We should, we should seek God's wisdom and we should seek God's help. We pray. And so pray first. I have a feeling that most of us, or or a lot of us, we probably pray most in times of need. Like we get, things get going okay, and we think, okay, I'm good for a while, and maybe we forget about the importance of prayer, and then something comes up, and we think, oh man, I need to go to God in prayer. And that's great, you should go to God in prayer. But, But I love that James doesn't say, hey, just pray when you're in need. James says, pray consistently, regardless of your situation, good, bad, difficult, broken, great, whole, you should pray. The best response is praying to God. Consistency is key. There's two reasons. It it changes our situations. Listen, let me just put this out on the table. I believe that God changes situations. I believe that God heals physically Spiritually, emotionally, I believe no matter what problem you are facing, our God is big enough to heal it and change it. Scripture tells us that. If you don't believe that, you need to read Scripture a little more deeply because our God changes things. So that's one reason. But it's not just about the changing of the circumstances. There's also the changing of our hearts. That's another reason we need to pray consistently is because it's not just about changing things, it's about changing us. If you have something bad happening in your life, if you're in need, and you don't go to God first, do you know what ends up happening? Maybe there's a broken relationship, and you don't take it to God. Maybe you take it to a friend, and you vent, or you take it, and you hide it, or you bury it down deep. What happens? It doesn't get better. It gets worse, and things get more and more broken, and, and feelings get more and more hurt. And going to God is our best response when we're in need. If things are going well, why do you need to pray? Why do you need to be consistent? Because if things are going re- really well for you, and you forget to go to God and praise God for it, guess what happens? You start to think, hey, I'm pretty good. Hey, I'm, I'm good on my own, like things are working out. And you forget 
that all of the good things that happen come from God. And we fall into this trap of idolatry and, and selfishness and self, um, you know, uh, just being completely reliant on ourselves, and that's not healthy. So God doesn't just change situations, but God changes us. So the most powerful thing we have is prayer, and our response, no matter what our circumstances, should be prayer. So consistent prayer, the second word, the second C, is connected prayer. Connected prayer. Um, prayer is most powerful when it's done in conjunction and in unity with the body of Christ. Hear me say that again. Prayer is most powerful when it's done connected to and unified with the body of Christ, the body of believers. We often think prayer is a private, personal thing, and there is an element of prayer that it is private and personal, but prayer is so much more than what you do by yourself to God, nobody else. Prayer is meant to be a part of the body of Christ. Verse 14, is anyone among you sick? Well, they should call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Verse 16, therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Don't miss this. We can't make prayer just a private, personal thing that happens in our prayer closet or our prayer chair. Listen, that we should pray personally, privately, absolutely. But prayer is much more than a personal thing. It, the people of God are called to come together, be unified, and pray together for each other. So we're praying for those in need. We need to pray for others with others and we need them to pray with and for us. Prayer is to be consistent, and prayer should be connected. See, James makes an assumption here that I don't think we should miss. I want you to hear this today. And listen, before I go into this, I just, you know my heart. My goal is never to single anyone out or to make anyone uh, feel bad about themselves. My goal is to communicate God's word and open the door for you to hear from God. And my goal is never to offend anyone or hurt anyone. But I want you to hear what it says. There's an assumption here. Let them call the elders of the church. What's the assumption made there that James makes? See, this letter is to all the followers of Christ. What's the assumption that James makes when he says, if you're sick, you should call the elders of the church? The assumption that James makes is that we, the followers of Christ, are living in the community, in the body of Christ. We are not meant to do this on our own. Let me say that again. We are not meant to do this on our own. When you become a follower of Christ, you join with the body of Christ all around the world and especially with the body of Christ in your close proximity to walk this journey and to help each other on your journey. So James doesn't say, hey, when you're sick, go to a private place and pray for yourself, you and God. 
leave everyone else out. James says, if you're sick, call on the body of Christ, the elders of the church, and have them come pray with you. James assumes that we will be connected to each other, that prayer is most effective when the body of Christ is connected to each other. We are not meant to walk this struggle on our own. Think about this. Isolation, man, in the last two years, haven't we learned this? Isolation is not healthy. It's not healthy. Think about the different ways that isolation is used as a tool to hurt people. I mean, just watch National Geographic. What happens when a lion is hunting? Does he just go jump on a big group of things? No. The lion looks for the isolated, the weakest one, and picks that one off. When, when countries are at war and they capture people from other countries, do they put them all in a big room? No, they isolate them and they interrogate them on their own. Why? Because we are weakest when we are isolated. This is a real thing. Isolation is not what the body of Christ is meant for. We are meant to be one together. And one of our biggest weaknesses, one of the hardest things about walking this journey is when we get separated from the body of Christ. That's when we are weak. But there is great power. This is good news today. There is great power in the body of Christ, praying together. There's great power in it. And and so I just wanna make a few simple observations. I'm gonna take the sermon hat off and I I just wanna speak to you as a pastor for a second. There's a few observations I wanna make. Number one, the less connected to the body of Christ you are, the weaker your faith will be. The easier it will be for the enemy to pull you away from Christ. I want you to hear that again. This is important. Coming together and worshiping is not something to be taken lightly. Walking this journey with the body of Christ is not something to be taken lightly. When you isolate yourself, your faith will be at its weakest. Don't let yourself get isolated from the body of Christ. Now I want to talk about something that, uh, this this is a tough topic, but online church. Listen, online church is a great tool that God is using in our current day. And there is nothing wrong. I know a lot of you might be watching online today. There's nothing wrong with watching a service online. There's nothing wrong with it. There's nothing wrong with watching different sermons. You can go on, did you know you could do this? You can go on YouTube and you can watch sermons from all these different pastors, great sermons, and, and get spiritual food that way. Do you like worshiping? Do you like, does anyone like worshiping? Okay, yeah, it's okay. Hootay! Yeah, it's all right, worship's okay. Do you like worshiping? You know what one of my favorite things is to do? Is to jump on YouTube or Pandora or any of those music things and just put some good worship on and just to worship God when I'm by myself. Like, those are great things. You have a lot of resources at your disposal to be fed and to, be, to, to hear from God. But listen to me when I say this. Online church, listening to sermons online, worshiping by yourself online is not being connected to the body. And so what I want to say is this. If you're watching a, a service online, that's fine. And even if you watch consistently online, that's fine. But you've got to get connected to the body of Christ. 
You need to be in relationship with other believers, whether you come together on a Sunday in person or whether you're on a screen, find a way to get connected to the body of Christ. It's the way we are meant to live. And then the third thing I want to say is this, and this one's kind of tough too. We are all meant to be a part of the body of Christ, and you have a responsibility in that. I think in our culture, it's become really easy to say, I'm a spectator or I'm a, I'm a consumer, just like I go to a restaurant, and I expect the waitress or the waiter or the staff to wait on me, to take care of me. And there are far too many times and far too many people that are saying, I'm a Christian, but I'm going to go to church, I'm going to be connected as long as the church waits on me and serves me and connects me. I, we hear it all the time as pastors. Well, I'm, I'm just not connected there. And a lot of times the blame is being put on the church. And listen, we as a church need to be loving and caring and inviting and connecting with others. But the responsibility of being connected to the body of Christ is mostly on me and you. When you accept Christ, you step into the body of Christ, and you have a responsibility to be connected. If you're walking on your own, you're walking in weakness. Find a way to get connected to the body of Christ. All right, I'm, I'm done on my soapbox there. I'm not done with my sermon. I'm done on my soapbox. Prayer is more than an individual thing. We are meant to pray together. We are meant to be in relationship with each other. Prayer is a team activity as much as it's a solo, private activity. So prayers should be consistent. Prayers should be connected to the body of Christ. Look at what verse 15 says. Um, and the prayers of faith will make us well. They'll bring healing. They will bring forgiveness the prayers, when you call on the body of Christ, when the body of Christ comes together and is unified and prays together, it works. There's healing. So verse 15 is tough. Let's talk through this. Because it seems to say, verse 15 seems to say when you're looking at what James is saying, that if, if I'm sick or if you're sick and we all pray together, then you're going to get better. And it's, it would be very easy to read this and to think that James is saying that anytime we pray for physical healing, that person's going to get healed. And then if we think that and then it doesn't happen, we start to think we're failing. So, so I just want to make a statement here. Is James saying that if we pray, we will all be healed? The answer is yes. But will that healing be exactly what we think or how we're praying? Sometimes, maybe not all the time. My mother. Walked through seven years of cancer. And I prayed a lot of nights. God, can you heal her? I prayed for physical healing. And I know that I wasn't alone. I know that a lot of you were praying for healing for my mother with me. I got some really good news for you today. 
she's healed. Maybe not the way I thought. Maybe not the way I wanted. But prayer brings healing. And she's got a level of healing that I can't even understand today. Listen, we should pray consistently because it's the most powerful thing we have. We should pray connected to each other because when we pray connected, God heals. God is at work. And you know what? Sometimes God does heal physically. How many of you have been in a situation where something's been broken or there's been a situation or maybe even a physical situation that you prayed for? And all of a sudden you were healed or that relationship was healed and there was nothing that you did or anyone did that could have possibly caused it. How many of you have seen that happen before? Our God heals all of us. And maybe God's timing and God's way of healing isn't to make that disease or that sickness go away. But God always heals and restores. What a beautiful thing. That's why it's important that we pray consistently, and that's why it's important that we stay connected and pray together. So the third thing, and this is where it gets kind of tough, is confession. Prayer should be done in conjunction with confession. That's a lot of C's. (laughs) Prayer should be done And we should confess to each other. Verse 16 there says, Therefore, confess your sins to each other so that you may be healed. So James has just said, if we gather together, if we're unified, if we pray together, God will heal, God will forgive sins. So what's our response? We confess to each other. And we pray for each other. And we will be healed. Why is it so important that we confess our sins to each other? I think we minimize confession in the church. I really do. I think there are a lot of times that we think confession, once again, is just this private, personal thing with God, and there is an element of that. Hear me again. You should confess all of your sins to God. But confession, if you're a part of the body of Christ... It's more than just a personal, private thing. Confession happens in the body. And when we wrong each other, we should confess to each other. I'm not saying you got to stand up in the middle of church and tell us all your deepest, darkest secrets. That's not what I'm saying. But we are called to be a people of confession and surrender. And so confession, the reason we need to do it is confession sets our heart in the right place for prayer. It it sets our heart in the right place, period. When we confess, when we surrender and admit that we've blown it, we open the door, our heart is in the right place for God to bring reconciliation and healing. So we confess, God heals and reconciles, and then we pray and it God's power and spirit are at work. We often pray in the church for revival. Did you know that every great revival started with confession? That's not a lot. That's truth. Every great revival starts with confession. Every personal revival will start with confession and surrender. 
We talk a lot in the church about wanting revival. We need to talk more about confessing our sins. Revival happens when we fully surrender, open our hearts, and are vulnerable and confess our sins to God and to each other. So let me show you how this works. So yesterday, upward basketball. I was refing upward basketball yesterday. I was refing kids, kindergarten through second grade, upward basketball. Let me tell you about kids, kindergarten through second grade, upward basketball. About half the kids don't know how to dribble a ball down a court without committing a violation. About half the kids don't even know what, I mean like 70% of what I was doing yesterday was just trying to tell, like hey, you need to come over here and stand just behind, okay, no, behind the line, move back a little bit, no, that line, step back, okay, now throw the ball in, no, stay behind the line, throw the ball in, okay, now you, you need to dribble, and, and so, listen, it, I'm, I'm refing kindergarten through second grade basketball, not, not my favorite age group. Um, I mean, I, I like kindergartners through second graders, but not to ref basketball for. I've got, I've got a second grader and a kindergartner. I love them. Don't want to ref their basketball games, but I will. So I'm refing kindergarten through second basketball. It's 8.30 in the morning. The other thing you need to know about me is I hate 8.30 in the morning on Saturday morning. It is one of my least favorite times. And I don't want to ref kids basketball at 8.30 in the morning all the time. I'm sorry, Dennis, I know you're in here. I will ref any time you need me. I'm going to continue to ref, but I don't love it. Okay? I do it to serve. So I'm refing kindergarten through second, kids basketball, 8.30 in the morning. To make things worse, yesterday I'm by myself refing, so there's nobody helping me. So I am trying to watch this whole game, 10 players, I'm trying to figure out who's guarding the right wristband and who's making dribbling violations and who's fouling who. And so I'm, I mean, I'm 8.30 in the morning, not in the best place, refing this game, have no clue. I mean, what do I call? What do I not call? If I call everything, we won't have a basketball game. And and at one point, I'm coaching, like, I'm trying to coach the kid. I, the whistle falls out of my mouth, and I say, hey, you need to do this. And while I'm saying that, a kid gets fouled. I saw it. I was going to call it, but I didn't have my whistle in my mouth. And the coach over there goes, come on, he got fouled. 8.30 in the morning, <laughs> kindergarten through second, basketball. And, and I turned to the coach, and I said, that's enough. I got it. And the coach said, you're missing a bunch of calls. I said, that's enough. I, I got my dad voice, like, like that's going to do anything to a grown man who's twice my size. And, and I said, hey, that's enough. I don't want to hear it. Like, cut it out. I got this, you know. And honestly, I mean, I didn't lose my temper, but, but I reacted in a way I shouldn't have reacted. And, and this has happened. I'm just going to be honest. This has happened way too many times when I've ref basketball. A coach is angry or yelling, and I get frustrated, and I say something back, and they say something back. So you know what I did yesterday? I realized I was wrong. As a referee, you should never respond to all of the complaints. It's a bad way to referee. You should call the game, and unless it gets out of hand, you should just mind your business. I realized I was wrong, and so I went over to that coach, and I said, Coach, at the next timeout, I said, I'm so sorry. I should not have reacted to what you said. It's all good. I'm sorry that I didn't do my best job refing. And the guy said, you know what? I'm sorry. I shouldn't have reacted that way, and I shouldn't have said this, and you put me in my place, and, and I said, no, that's not what it's about. Like, and, and you know what happened? We went from frustrated with each other, mad at each other, 
to cool. We may not be best friends. I probably still missed a bunch of calls, but there was reconciliation there. This is how it happens in the church. Sometimes somebody wrongs somebody else, and instead of going to God and going to each other in confession, we go to everyone else, we talk to everyone else, and this gap becomes bigger and bigger. And the wall between us becomes bigger and bigger. We are called to be one, to be unified in the Spirit. And so in order for us to pray effectively, we need to be consistent. We need to be consistent in our prayer. And I always do this. I start and then I forget what my three C's are. We need to be, someone help me with my second C. Connected, thank you. I really know I'm just testing you guys. No, I don't. Um, consistent, you need to be connected and you need to be confessing to each other. In order for the church to be unified, to be one, we have to confess to each other. We've got to be made right in Christ. And so we confess. It puts our heart in the right place. If we are praying for revival and not confessing our sins and surrendering, that would be like me praying that I would lose weight while I'm standing at the buffet shoveling food into my mouth. It doesn't work. Confession, surrender, is where we open our heart and there's healing and reconciliation and then prayer and revival happen. We are called to be consistent, connected, and confessional. It goes on in verse 16 and says, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. The King, I like the King James Version. I don't usually use the King James, but the King James Version says this, the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous person. The effective, fervent prayer. So fervent, consistent, passionate prayer of a righteous, somebody who's been made right with God and right with each other. Confession, prayer is powerful and effective. Listen, I want you to hear today, our, 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 uh, we, we pray for those in need, and sometimes I think we pray like this, God, help that person, and then I go about my day and I forget about it, and I'm not connected, and I'm not right in my relationships, and I'm not fervent and consistent in prayer. If we're going to see God move, and we're going to see revival, and we're going to see God answer prayer and heal, we need to be consistent, we need to be connected and we need to confess to each other because when our hearts are right, our prayers will be most effective. This isn't a jukebox. This isn't we put a quarter in and God heals. This is when you surrender fully, God's healing power is at work. And sometimes he may heal physically and sometimes he may heal spiritually. God will always heal. So the worship team's gonna come up. And as they do that, we're going to respond. And I think the response, it's the same every week. We've got this prayer wall, and I want you to respond in prayer. We're praying for those in need. But, but James gives us a blueprint here. Number one, we need to be consistent. We need to be connected. And then we need to be confessional. And so I want you to take the sheet of paper in front of you. Look in the seat in front of you. If there's not one, that means there was someone in that seat in first service. There will be one close to you. Have someone hand you one. Take the sheet of paper. Go ahead. Let's get moving. Everyone's sitting there like this. Like, I'm not even going to move. I'm not even going to move a muscle. Go ahead. Grab a piece of paper. If you're online, grab a piece of paper at home. 
grab a pen. There's a pen in the seat in front of you. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to start this prayer by just being consistent. God, I need you. God, I praise you for what you're doing. God, you are so good. I want you to start in prayer consistently, no matter where you're at, no matter what your situation, pray. Write that prayer out. The second thing, we are connected. We are called to pray for each other. And so I want you to think of those people that are in need, and I want you to maybe write some names down. Maybe, maybe you don't want to put specific names. You can write generally, but, but write down who God is calling you to pray for. And then the third part is that we need to be right in relationship. We need to be confessional. So I, I'm not asking you to write down your deepest, darkest sins, but maybe write down how God is moving you to be a person that's consistent, that a person that's connected, and, and a person that's confessional. And as you write that down, we're going to be singing a song. And, and as you write that down, I want you, when you're done, to bring them down and put them on the altar, and we'll continue to build our prayer wall. So I want to pray for us. Father, we love you. We thank you that you're with us. And Lord, I thank you that you're a God that answers prayer. I thank you that you're a God that heals, that no matter what we're facing, you bring healing. Whether it's physically or emotionally or spiritually, Lord, you always heal. And so, Lord, help us to open our hearts now. Help each and every one of us to take the time and to spend some time in prayer as we sing and as we pray together. We want to worship you today, and I pray, Lord, that you would bring healing. In Jesus' name, amen.